One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to Condensed Histories, the podcast that takes pop culture and reveals the real history underneath. I'm your host, Jem Daduchu, and this time round we're doing John Wick, which means we get to talk about guns, choreography, and action movies, obviously, but of course, assassinations. Lots and lots of assassinations. And this is just a fun one, because I love a John Wick movie, and the reason why this is coming out is obviously John Wick 4, has come out chapter four so there'll be no spoilers for that movie because you may not have even seen it yet obviously at time of recording that's the situation we're in you might be listening to this in i don't know the year 2030 hello hi how are you, how's it going then but anyway let's get on with this and let's have a look at that enigma that is keanu reeves so keanu reeves has cropped up in a number of other episodes i did one for example on the matrix and I'm a fan of his. He's he's obviously one of the nicest guys in Hollywood. There is some footage on YouTube, if you don't believe me, you can check it out after you've listened to this podcast, of basically somebody just filming him on the sly in the Metro in New York. And this is obviously a few years ago. He's a, a young man, I'm going to assume it's in the early 2000s. And basically, he's just sitting there minding his own business. A woman comes on and he offers her his seat. No big hoo-ha or anything like that. He just gets up, gives it to her without even sort of thinking about it twice. And I think that if you've got somebody like that, if that's their sort of like natural state of affairs, then they're a good guy. Simple as that. So Keanu is, I'm going to say, a proper action star or indeed movie star what do i mean by that well when you talk about a movie star we don't tend to talk about their acting abilities but they can put bums on seats they can fill an audience they can open a movie that kind of thing and and you know obviously he's perhaps well he's nowhere near as big a star as somebody like tom cruise although they both did start in the 80s but the thing is that Keanu, nobody turns around and says, he's a great actor. He may be a great guy, but he's not a great actor. But he does put his heart and soul into pretty much anything that he actually does. The first time I noticed him was in a Steve Martin movie called Parenthood. Also, around about the same time, you've got the Bill and Ted movies where he had to play basically a dumb Californian kid who's totally into his rock music and he's perfect in that role how much acting was required to play an airhead air guitarist who can say but he is perfectly cast in that film and he is totally believable as this slightly dumb slightly pretty lovely person and if you like that's been his 
thing, really, for a lot of his career. He doesn't really ever play the mastermind. And I've said in, in other films, again, I, I don't want to sort of repeat what I've said when I've talked about other films that have featured Keanu Reeves, but the interesting thing about him is he doesn't just want to do one type of film. He doesn't want to be typecast. Problem is, his range isn't very good. I mean, for example, he's in Shakespeare's Much Ado About Nothing. He's not very good at it. Okay. Also, at one point, he plays Siddhartha, the Buddha, in a different movie. Again, not going to bother going into that one either. He has produced more flops than hits, but the films that hit with audiences really made a connection. And we don't tend to, well, I'm not at least not until John Wick came out, do we tend to put him in the same category as somebody like Bruce Willis, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Jean-Claude Van Damme, those sorts of people. But the reality is, he's had perhaps as many big and influential action movie hits as these other people, and even though we're now into the 2020s, he's still making really good action films. So, I just want to kind of unpack that for a moment, because really, if an action film came out in the 1970s, we tended to mean it was a war movie. And some war movies are more serious than others, something like The Longest Day in the 1960s. Is There's lots of action, lots of shooting in that, but it's a very earnest depiction of D-Day. By comparison, just a few years later, you've got Where Eagles Dare, which is just a, a silly romp. It, it's not far off what James Bond would do, even though it's got a lick of coating of sort of World War II-ness to it. It's, it's as ridiculous as a James Bond movie, where Clint Eastwood and Richard Burton just just kill all the Germans. It's a fun film. Again, I've sort of been into that in, in previous episodes. I mean, those are just some examples from the 60s. And again, you know, it is the godfather it's, it's obviously a drama but you know, do we talk about the action in the film are there action sequences there are certainly assassinations so again a lot more on real assassinations later on but you get my point so really it's once we get to movies like 48 hours and then you know properly evolving in the likes of lethal weapon and predator and commando and Rambo, First Blood, Part 2, and of course Die Hard. And then we're starting to get, if you like, the essential ingredients of what makes an action film. Yes, as many people die in Commando as, let's say, The Longest Day. Perhaps a few more people die in The Longest Day, actually, but you get my point. On-screen deaths, shall we say. But the point is, you're meant to feel bad about them in a war film, whereas in Commando, it's like, yeah, kill the guy, and indeed, there is the kills. This is a, something that horror films have in common with action movies, you know, particularly in the 80s, where when you were a teenager and you sort of perhaps weren't meant to watch these films, you're a bit too young for them, everybody would talk about the most disgusting bit, the gory bit, the one bit in Commando that everybody talked about when he comes out of the shed and he sort of throws the, the circular saw blade and it sticks in someone's head. It is three seconds of a movie that is never going to worry the Oscars and yet it was the bit that we all talked about because it was a bit sort of weird gross and it wasn't just people shooting and being doubled over going ah kind of thing so the thing about your diehards and your Schwarzenegger films and to a certain extent your lethal weapons as well is there are those kind of one-liner type things but while those were coming out we get in the 90s a continuation of these action films it could be Con Air it could be Face Off which is 
easily one of the best action films ever made, directed by John Woo, who in Hong Kong was creating remarkable action movies like The Killer, A Better Tomorrow, and of course Hard Boiled, which is, is just taking Western action cinema and just adding this other layer of almost wuxia sort of martial arts elements to it, this sort of ridiculously balletic action sequences. It's really hard to describe on a podcast because it's all very much a visual medium. And I would thoroughly recommend, if you have never heard of John Woo or Chow Yun-Fat or you don't know much about Hong Kong cinema, I assure you that the ones I've just mentioned, you know, the acting's a bit ropey and very melodramatic for sure. In Hard Boiled, the actual police officer's called Tequila, so that's all you need to know about how tough he is. So it's not subtle at all, but the, the sheer exuberance and amazing framing and editing and stunt work in these action sequences in things like hard-boiled killers better tomorrow those are all great hong kong action flicks and he came over to america and he did broken arrow first of all with christian slater and john travolta and then kept john travolta and then brought in nicholas cage for face off so, you know, those were his crown jewels. Oh, he also did Hard Target with Jean-Claude Van Damme. How can I forget that? That was actually his directorial debut in America. All of those are great action movies from the 90s. But in the meantime, we got Keanu and he starts the 90s with Point Break. He then really elevates the 90s in the middle of them with speed. And then he finishes off the 90s with Matrix. So actually, he's probably one of the more consistent, great action performers of the 1990s and we can talk about how disappointing the matrix sequels were and like i say there are lots of terrible movies in there in the meantime where he's trying to act and trying to be weird and trying to be different and yes there's also johnny mnemonic which is sort of an action movie but terrible don't bother with that one and he does other things and he sort of ebbs and flows but when you look at it most actors don't have consistent hit after hit after hit. Probably one of the few exceptions to that are the likes of Will Smith and Tom Cruise, and we can kind of put those into a a, a different category because they really are the top of the top. Schwarzenegger and Stallone for a time had a hot run, but they started mixing in lesser movies, and basically, particularly with Schwarzenegger, he had 10 hot years. And then after that, it's just a law of diminishing returns, really. And I love the guy. And when he gets it right, he gets it really right. Predator, Terminator 2, True Lies, etc. But certainly nobody's going to say End of Days is an amazing film. So that's what's going on. And the reality is that Keanu, once we're into the 2010s, things aren't looking particularly great for him. When was his last big movie? When were people talking about the last great Keanu Reeves film? Indeed, in 2013, the year before John Wick comes out, he was in Extreme Pursuit. Ever heard of that one? No, not me either. But also 47 Ronin, which was an incredibly huge flop, was actually based on a true bit of Japanese history, which is an amazing story in its own right, and I don't have time to go into it now, which was turned into a kind of fantasy adventure, and it was just a terrible idea, done terribly for a ridiculous amount of money, and... Keanu Reeves is not the problem of the film. The director, the idea, the film is the problem in the film there. But this is what he was, you know, you're known for being in one of the biggest flops of the year, probably in the last 10 years. That's not a good thing to be remembered for or the utterly forgettable extreme pursuit. So then he started filming this movie called Scorn. And 
in it. And like always, he put his heart and soul into the action. And it was an incredibly demanding role playing this assassin called John Wick, where he went to weapons training and he studied multiple martial arts. And then when filming actually happened, although he put his heart and soul into it, no fault of his own, he ended up getting a fever from perhaps overwork. And in the scene in the nightclub in the upper level, obviously the stuff wasn't filmed in five minutes. It took weeks to film. That particular section there, he was running a fever of 104 degrees Fahrenheit. So he was really not you know, loving it in terms of how he was feeling at that time. And yet you can't tell in the movie that's how committed he is. He's still fast. He looks lethal. He looks believable. If you compare him, for example, to the utterly ridiculous Steven Seagal and how what Seagal was doing in his 50s. Nowadays, his films are so bad, there's actually an entire channel dedicated to how bad they are on YouTube. But even the stuff he was doing, you know, 20 years ago when he was in his 50s, those are just abysmal, abysmal films, and everybody slows down. You know, even Jackie Chan wasn't doing quite the same stunt work in his 50s that he was doing in his 30s, for example. But not Keanu Reeves. He seems to be going against the second law of thermodynamics and the world of entropy. He is not slowing down. The stunt work, not in John Wick 1, that's fine. That's, that is a good, solid action film. But it's when you get to 2 and 3, you start going... This is something else. This is another level of action. And I've never seen Keanu Reeves look as good as this on screen. Matrix included. Obviously, there's a lot of wire work in Matrix. But particularly the way he goes to the ground and he swivels round on his hips and he's also firing guns at the same time. This is amazing reloading sequence. It's, it's just 10 seconds in John Wick 2 towards the end when he's shooting his way through the museum because... John Wick just shoots his way through everything where basically he's standing there with a the gun. I've got to describe it because if Greg was to put in the the sound of the scene, it would make no sense. But basically he's holding a handgun. It's a Kimber 1911 if you want to get technical. And he flicks the gun to one side which ejects the magazine. He then slaps in another magazine and then pulls the slide back so it's now primed and ready to go again. But he then flips the gun in his hand, so he's now got his four fingers on the top of the gun, even though it's still being held in the same hand, and he then pulls the slide back so he can check that there is a round in the chamber. And then he flips the gun again so it's in his hand ready to fire. And this is a smooth one-scene moment, and it's just sort of like, just that, there's the classic thing in screenwriting about show, don't tell, and people keep talking about how amazing he is and how fearful he is. But talk is cheap. We need to see it actually happen on screen. And just that one scene about him reloading a gun tells you he knows everything there is to know about how to use that handgun. Just just in those 10 seconds. It is just a remarkable bit of show, don't tell, and action telling you something about the character of the the protagonist in this occasion. So, with all that in mind... Before I turn this into a total love fest about John Wick, let's also do some critiquing. Basically, the one of the reasons why he was picked on for The Matrix is because he had to look pretty, he had to do well with martial arts, and he had to look confused for a lot of the movie. And nobody looks confused like Keanu Reeves. And indeed, if you go back to the, the reputation of John Wick films, is they're sort of completely action-packed. But, of course, any film that was just end-to-end -end action with nothing else, you wouldn't care. So what's interesting is, if you watch the first John Wick, 
it is 15 minutes before anything of note happens. This is where basically he gets beaten up at his home as the bad guy steals his car and kills his dog, which starts off this whole rampage thing. And largely those first 15 minutes are very dialogue late. It is Keanu moping around mourning the loss of his wife. It takes another 15 minutes, so we're now half an hour into an hour and 40, 40 minute before he properly tools himself up and he is ready to go on a rampage. And what you've got in any good action film is you've got these scenes, specifically action scenes. Like I said, the nightclub scene in the first movie, the museum scene in the second movie, the knife fighty... He seems to at one point sort of appear in a kind of knife and axe museum. It's all behind glass, and he has this sort of corridor fight with all these knives and axes, which is towards the start of the film, and it's just absolute anarchy in that... And so you get these scenes, they're kind of breathless, and they're sort of like seven, eight minutes of just propulsive action. And then everybody, the stuntmen, the audience, everybody needs to take a breath. So as I'm going to say, in terms of the John Wick films, I'm going to say the characterization is laughably shallow. John Wick is just the most awesome assassin ever. And his wife's dead. And he didn't like it when they killed his dog. And he likes his car too. And that's it in terms of characterization. I can't give you anything else about the guy. There's nothing else interesting about him because that's not really what Keanu does and it's not really why we care and want to see the movie Scorn. And in case you're wondering why I keep talking about Scorn is because the film was originally called Scorn, but Keanu, being Keanu, couldn't remember the name of it and kept talking about how he plays an assassin called John Wicks. So they just went, to hell with it. You know, if we've made the film, nobody actually says scorn in the movie, so let's just call it John Wick, which is why it's got a really average name. So you mean you could have scorn, scorned, past tense, scorning, more scorn, I scorn you. You know, these could have been the names of the sequels instead of just John Wick, John Wick Chapter 2, John Wick Chapter 3, Ch Parabellum, John Wick Chapter 4, etc. Yeah, the, the, the plot is wafer thin. It makes Death Wish look like a complicated plot. It's the characterization. Everybody is a trope. You're the bad Russian assassin. I'm the kick-ass British person. Or, I mean, they occasionally give something, oh, they're a mute female assassin. But, I mean, that's just a gimmick. It's not really a character, is it? And also, there is no sense of humour to these movies, unlike your lethal weapons and even your speeds and, and so on and so forth. John Wick does not kill people with cool one-liners. But as I said, you know, these movies have evolved over time. So I'm talking about, you know, what were action films in the 60s and 70s? It was a war film, maybe a gangster film. And then the 80s and 90s and early 2000s, it was an action-action type film, as described a whole list of them that I've already mentioned. But then in the 2000s, we start getting superhero movies. And quite frankly, an R-rated movie, which might restrict some people going to the cinema, that's not going to make as much money as if it's rated PG-13, 12 in the UK, where the whole family can go and see Iron Man or Batman or whoever. And so nowadays, in the 2020s, when we talk about action films, generally they're superhero-related, generally they cost 150 to $250 million to make, and something like John Wick, the first John Wick's budget was only $30 million in 2014, and yet it grossed close to $100 million. So it certainly made its money back. And what's interesting is, each time John Wick 2 
doubled the business of John Wick 1, and John Wick 3 doubled the business of John Wick 2. So they're actually getting more popular, more successful, rather than fading away, as so many sequels tend to do. But if we go back to, let's say, the 1990s, there was a debate. There was the, the whole Planet Hollywood thing, wasn't there? Stallone, Schwarzenegger, Willis. But, you know, Jean-Claude Van Damme, Keanu Reeves. There were other people. Nicolas Cage, for example, in the mix as to who was the greatest action hero of that decade. And yet, nowadays, moving into sort of the new millennium, because of this sort of glut of superhero movies, there were just fewer and fewer of sweary, shouty, bloody, gun-orientated action movies. For a time, basically, the only action franchise out there was the Fast series. And are they really action films? I mean, up until number five, they weren't really action at all. Fast Five genuinely was an action film. You know, there were shootouts in it, but it was all bloodless. And there wasn't any swearing to, again, keep it into that right rating. They weren't trying to replicate the likes of Lethal Weapon. They were trying to do their own, almost superhero-ish, and certainly by the time you get to things like Fast and Furious 7 or whatever, the disregard of physics is just as big as a superhero movie because these people should have died so, 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 so many times. But you can't deny the stunt works there. The action elements are there. The, the the driving, the fight scenes, the shootouts. You know, all the people needed to make a Fast and Furious movie are exactly the same people that you would have needed to make Speed, for example. So they're definitely action films. They're just not quite in that vein. And apart from Deadpool, which sort of crosses between the superhero and the sweary, bloody, action-centric kind of stuff but again even then nobody talks about the action scenes of deadpool they're not why you go you go for the dark comedy life is full of what ifs some awesome like what if ai could fold your laundry and some well less awesome like what if you have unexpected medical costs united healthcare can help get you covered with health protector guard fixed indemnity insurance plans They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Go for the gross out gags. You're, you're basically going, in essence, a little bit like Commando to see, oh, what's a disgusting way, you know, a funny one-liner and what's a disgusting way to die. That element's there, but rather than like, oh my God, look at the stunt work. Because again, it's a lot of it's CGI, and so what's real, what's not, and there just is a weightlessness to some of this stuff, which again, John Wick reminds us, it's like, here's what proper stunt work looks like. And to be fair to Keanu, he doesn't do all his stunts. I mean, certainly the stuff where he's hit by cars, you can understand why they might want to get a stuntman involved in that one. But there are sequences in the second movie, for example, he rolls down some stairs and starts shooting, and that's clearly Keanu Reeves. And obviously the fight sequences. This is a man in his 50s who is fighting hard. And, you know, in the third movie, on the horses, not all of that was necessarily him, and not all of it, you know, some of it was like kind of green screened, etc., or he had wires on you know, for safety purposes, but, you know, he's he is at times riding a horse and shooting a gun and doing kung fu and all this other stuff. You know, you get a lot of value for money when you get Keanu Reeves on the set. Just don't ask him to do Hamlet, okay? So, I think I have talked up John Wick a lot, and, and actually... I've been telling you about the Hollywood world, but let's go into the world of John Wick for a moment, because as I said, he's an assassin. And he's known as Baba Yaka, which actually, they say he's boogeyman, but actually there, there's a very similar sounding word, which is, I think is Baba Yaka, which is not Baba Yaga, but Baba Yaka is kind of like an evil spirit that takes people's souls at night, so, which is basically a boogeyman, okay? It's just an, uh, not something you want to cr- cross. Baba Yaga, however, is an old hag, like an old witch that famously had, in Slavic fairy tales, had a house which was on giant chicken legs. So they would never have called him that. <laughs> hey, old witch with mobile house. That's that. I mean, that's kind of spooky. You know, the Hansel and Gretel and the witch type thing. That's what we're talking about with Baba Yaga. But it's what he was called in the first movie. They made the mistakes. They're just going to have to roll with it. And like I say, what's nice about these sort of like modern John Wick films, unlike a sort of muscle bound Jean-Claude Van Damme or or Rambo movie from the 80s, is there is definitely more inclusion in this. I'm not just talking about guys of color, but women, for example, or non-binary people and... John Wick is an equal opportunity killer. He will kill anybody. Man, woman, non-binary, any gender, any any religion, any ethnicity. He's, he will just descend upon you like a biblical plague. So anyway, so that's what's going on. But one of the things that's really intriguing about the John Wick universe is it's not quite our world. Because there's this whole society around it. What's really great is there's the Continental Hotel, which is a hotel exclusively for assassins. And the rule is, 
you're not allowed to do any business in the actual hotel. So it's a place where you can resupply, get some intelligence, or just have a nice soak, okay? And these films are really cool. You know, there's so many scenes sort of drenched in Neil with a pounding soundtrack. It's it's just awesomely put together. It always looks gorgeous. But also this sort of mythology around it's really cool, which really grows in the second movie. In the first film, you see that there are these gold coins. And, you know, they've tried to talk to... Now, I think I need to give credit where credit's due. So the whole stuff has been written by Derek Colstead. And so he's had to come up with this sort of like this this universe, this mythology around it. So well done, Derek, for just coming up with something different, okay? And then the director is Chad Stalsky, and his stunt work and direction is absolutely phenomenal. So, you know, both those guys, 10 out of 10 for you. So you get these gold coins. So you pay for a room with a gold coin. But in another scene in the second movie... Basically, two drinks cost one gold coin. Now, even in the real world, we know that a hotel room and two drinks do not cost the same amount of money. So what's going on with these gold coins? Also, there are times when John Wick will buy a load of guns and each gun costs a gold coin. It's sort of like, okay, but a gun clearly costs a lot more than a drink, for example. And and basically what Derek said is it's like that these are tokens you wouldn't stay in the Continental every day just for the sake of it. It's uneconomical. But the point is, whatever you want, you can get with a coin. Or if you want a lot of stuff, you might have to pay multiple coins. In the first film, for example, John Wick gets a cleanup squad literally to come in and take away the bodies. And he basically pays a coin per body, as it were. I mean, these are solid gold coins, so that's pretty good stuff. But there's a... Again, in the second film you start seeing it branch out and you can see that there's a whole administration around it, which are all played by these... I mean, this is why it's so visually cool. These sort of women who are dressed in 1950s kind of outfits with a sort of pointed glasses type thing, but they're all heavily tattooed. A lot of them are obviously kind of like goth models, but they're all dressed like that and they've got very 1950s technology, like there's a switchboard and they've got 1980s style computers that sort of send text messages out every time there's a new hit going out and, you know, who wants an open contract on John Wick for $7 million kind of thing. That all goes out to a chain of text messages to various assassins' phones. And what's clear, at least by the second film, is so many people are assassins, particularly in New York. So many that it is absolutely unsustainable. And indeed, there's a whole then network of spies that are the homeless who will help you for a gold coin. And the king of these sort of homeless people is Lawrence Fishburne. So we've now got Morpheus and Neo meeting up again for the first time actually since the Matrix movies. So there we go. And I see them back on screen again together. So it's it's just interesting. You're not quite sure what's happening next in the third film. Oh my goodness, he goes on a whole journey to stop himself being excommunicado. And that's interesting because they do kind of use various moments of Latin and symbology and stuff like that, which are picked from all kinds of different cultures. Like I say, clearly with the Baba Yaga stuff, that's taking it from Slavic and Russian folklore. And excommunicado is basically the Latin for excommunication, which is a very much a Catholic thing. So if you don't know, and I'll just put this in here, first bit of history here, excommunication is what a pope would do, and it was particularly powerful in the Middle Ages. If you were excommunicated, you were cut out of the faith. Basically, God had turned their back on you, and in the Middle Ages, people took their religion seriously, so this was a big deal. But more importantly and more practically, if you were excommunicated, it meant that, yes, you couldn't go to church, but also, basically, 
good Christians shouldn't interact with you. They should ignore you, shun you. And that would be very inconvenient for me and you. But if you were a king that was excommunicated or an emperor, and this genuinely happened on multiple occasions across Europe when the Pope excommunicated, for example, King John, or there was uh, multiple Holy Roman emperors who were excommunicated, that caused problems. One of the Holy Roman emperors had to go to Canossa. This is very well remembered in German history that you have the Holy Roman Empress shivering, standing outside Canossa, which was the winter quarters of the Pope waiting to be forgiven because he knew that basically he was going to get deposed if he didn't get some kind of understanding with the Pope and stop the excommunication. So it was a staggeringly powerful religious tool used for centuries in the Middle Ages. So excommunicating John Wickman, he can no longer go to the Continental. It means that all this network of spies and ammunition supplies and doctors aren't allowed to work with him anymore, which is where the third movie sort of starts with. So yeah, so all of this is great, great fun, but I'm going to now lead it into the world of actual genuine assassinations. So perhaps one of the most famous early assassinations is, of course, Julius Caesar. Beware the Ides of March. And we all know what happened next. He goes to the forum. He's then stabbed by the other senators. And I do feel obliged to say the whole et tu brute thing is very much alive and well in Shakespeare. But actually none of the contemporary writers said that he said that. One writer says that he says something different. But most of them said he, he fell making no sounds. Which is probably more accurate because if you are stabbed like 20 times... Probably the thing that you're actually going to say is ouch, rather than some cool one-liner, because that's Hollywood rather than the real world. So, Julius Caesar is a famous assassination. I did do an early episode all about Assassin's Creed, and talking about how, in the Middle Ages, the where we get the term assassin from is the Hashashin, which is a group of Islamic fundamentalists in the Middle Ages who lived largely in castles in Syria, very much in the middle of nowhere, so very hard to actually be attacked and taken over. And they were the terrors of not just the Crusader states, not just the Christians, but also Muslims as well. If you want to know more about that one and how one assassin tried to kill Prince Edward, who would eventually become Edward I, King of England, that's a whole thing. And, you know, they were everything you'd think of of an assassin. They would, you know, attack with poison knives. It's, you know, they wouldn't care if they were killed in the process of the assassination. They were only took out high-level targets. It's everything that you would think an assassin would actually be. But it wasn't unique to the Middle East. As I've already pointed out about Julius Caesar, pretty much all cultures have some form of assassination, political execution involved in them. But I want to go to somebody that you might not well have heard of. He is William I, Prince of Orange, also known as William the Silent, who ran... I'm just going to keep it easy because it has multiple names over multiple eras. Basically ran the Netherlands in the late 1500s. Now, what you need to know, if you're not up on your Dutch history, is basically... The low countries, Belgium and the Netherlands, were being regularly fought over after the Reformation. Basically, some of these lands became Protestant, some of these lands continued to be Catholic, and so you had the kings of Spain and France generally trying to fight the Protestants and sort of the Holy Roman Empire getting involved in that as well. So that was going on there, and William the Silent, so-called because he was apparently quite taciturn, he, he didn't do lots of big speeches, 
action rather than, than words, really, with William. And he was basically one of the first leaders of the Netherlands, the Protestant Netherlands. And indeed, it was during his reign that something that's very famous in Dutch history, the Eighty Years' War, starts which actually the end of that gets mixed into the Thirty Years' War in the 1600s, and that's again largely a war between Catholics and Protestants. So, what's this all about then? Why am I talking about him? Because William had a nemesis, and his name was Balthasar Kharats. I'm trying to do my best to do Dutch translation here, or Dutch enunciation here. And basically, because William was such a successful pain or thorn in the side of Philip II of Spain, you know, that one, Spanish Armada, all that kind of good stuff, that Philip said of him, this is an exact quote, that William was a pest on the whole of Christianity and the enemy of the human race and put a price in his head of 25,000 crowns, which probably isn't far off the 7 million that John Wick gets on his head in episode or chapter 2, which is raised to 14 million by the end of that movie. Anyway, Balthazar, in 1581, really took up Philip's idea and wanted to kill William. And he played the long game, because in 1581, Balthazar joined the Protestant Netherlands army, hoping that if he does well in the army, he'll be put in front of William. So for two years, he fought on a side, fighting hard for a cause he in no way agreed with. This is part of the plot of RRR. So, you know, that, that was not unique to the world of Tollywood, but also actual genuine history. However, that just wasn't working out for him. And after two years of being quite successful at this stuff, he, in the end, went to the Duke of Palmer and, and basically said, hey, look, any chance you can get me in front of William? And what Balthazar did is he bought two wheel lock pistols. Now, you may be aware of those sort of like flint locks and things like that. In the late 1500s, a wheel lock, which basically was clockwork, rather than matchlock, which was you had to have a constantly burning cord to ignite the gunpowder. A wheel lock, basically, you cranked it up, and then when you pulled the trigger, it spun round with a flint in it, and that was enough for it to cause a spark and ignite. It was the absolute top end of firearms technology of that time. So he bought two wheel lock pistols, and basically, in 1584, he finally got in front of William, and he shot him. And William very shortly after that, died of his wounds. So William the Silent was the very first national leader to be assassinated with a gun rather than with a knife. And we're talking about 1584. By the way, that fact, so it's actually, the fact is called William the Silent Didn't Die Quietly is from my book Forgotten Histories, which is just a collection of just unusual and forgotten moments from history. So there we go. That's a, a quick plug for that one. That's the 1580s. Now, let me jump a long time into the future, into the world is now at war with Napoleon. The year is 1812, and this is the time that the only prime minister in Britain's long history with Parliament has ever been assassinated. I'm going to, after, I mentioned Balthazar because I think he's important, he's a long time ago, but generally, I'm not going to mention assassins because why would you give the names of the people who did these terrible things? And so what we got is Spencer Percival, who was prime minister. And you would think 1812. So maybe this is a French revolutionary that's trying to bring down the British government. Or maybe this is a spy of Napoleon who's assassinating the leader of an enemy state. You'd be wrong on both counts because Spencer Percival was shot 
not by a foreigner, but by one of his own constituents. This particular constituent blamed Spencer Percival's administration for his loss of business. And he'd gone out of business, and he was so angry about that, he brought a pistol, and in the Houses of Parliament shot Spencer Percival dead. That was in 1812. That's the only time a prime minister has ever been successfully assassinated. And I guess there's a lesson there for every government leader. You know, always keep your constituents happy because you really don't want to anger them of all people. Not only will they not vote you back in, they might occasionally take a shot at you. So there we go. So that's 1812. But then I'm going to jump to 1835 when Richard Lawrence, who was a handyman, he painted houses. He decided that he had had enough of the American presidency. And at that time, in 1835, the president of the United States was Andrew Jackson. And Andrew Jackson had to attend a funeral. And this was way before the Secret Service, which is a terrible name for an organization that are basically bodyguards of the president, because they're not secret. We all know who they are. So Jackson was there at the funeral. And what Richard Lawrence did is he bought two pistols. They were brand new. And he basically walked straight up behind Jackson and fired the first pistol into Andrew Jackson's back. At least he attempted to, because the gun went click. So, he obviously had a plan B, brought out the second pistol, and that pistol also failed to fire. At which point, Andrew Jackson realised what was going on, spun round, and with his walking stick, began to beat Richard Lawrence. He basically, the President of the United States, had to be dragged off his would-be assassin, who he was thrashing with a stick. Now... I don't know what your views are on American politics or gun control or anything like that, but the fact is this. I'm going to say if somebody tries to kill you and fails twice, you are allowed to beat them up, okay? I'm going to say that is justice at the very least. Andrew Jackson had many flaws with his politics. He's a complicated conversation overall, but that's something that I... You're going to have to be a real spoil sport to say that he didn't deserve to do that. So... They then tried to fire these guns, and they both fired fine, which led to this idea that maybe God himself is protecting the President of the United States, an element of divinity. Don't forget, this is still within living memory of the American War of Independence and the War of 1812 as well, so it's kind of a sign of, God wants us to lead. Look, he's protecting our leaders. Actually, it turns out more likely what it was is those particular firearms were susceptible to damp, and it was a very muggy day during the funeral, so it was probably more to do with basic atmospherics rather than divine intervention. But unfortunately, Andrew Jackson was the first president that had an assassination attempt against him, but with regret, a total obviously of three American presidents have actually fallen under the gun of an assassin, and more have actually been shot at, or in case, in some instances, wounded, like Ronald Reagan, for example. That's the most recent one. So, I'm going to stop there. I am going to obviously always remind you, please click subscribe, please give us a review, really helps people find us in the 
interwebs, etc. I'm at Gem Daduchu on Twitter. Love to get your thoughts on any of this stuff, as always. Or indeed, if you've got recommendations or suggestions, or what did you think of John Wick 4? Hope you enjoyed it. I certainly did. But anyway, the, the point is, I am going to do one last thing. Going back to the gross-out kills. That's something that John Wick does that delights me and my teenage sons as well. In the second one, there's the scene with the pencil. There's in the third one, like going back to the knife corridor as well. It's like each one has a moment of like, ooh, and ah, and I find it interesting. We don't tend to wince nearly as much when people are shot because it's not something that we can all experience. But we we all know how sharp a pencil can be. And also, if somebody's killed with a pencil, that's kind of almost personal, really. Going back to the Joker in 2008's The Dark Knight. But what I'm going to say is, you know, look, John Wick is a lot of fun. It's kind of old-fashioned, but brought up to the modern world. And, you know, long may it live. I think it's a real problem. It's being spun off into a TV show. And there's just, as I pointed out, there's enough characterization to make it a TV show. We're all going to see the stunts, the action. And a TV show will not have the same budget or time to do the choreography as a movie. And also... If you've got, let's say, 10 episodes of a TV series and there's like two fight scenes in every episode, that's 20 fight scenes and they're actually going to get a bit boring and predictable. Generally, any TV series which which relies heavily on action gets pretty old pretty quickly. So I can't wait to continue to watch the movies. I would be very surprised if the TV show lasts more than one or two series and probably will get some so-so reviews. Leaving it there, and as always, another episode coming soon. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.